welcome to another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. And it's an exciting episode here today because we're expanding the podcast uh, to not only focus on basketball, but also diving into other sporting codes and interviewing, hearing the stories of other sporting personalities uh, once again to unearth key virtues around life or for life and leadership. And joining me on the podcast today is former NRL coach and best-selling author, Matthew Elliott. And Matt's background is in rugby league, as uh, most of you probably know. Uh, he played 61 games for the St. George Dragons, as I've known back then. And he's coached over 400 games across both the NRL and the English Super League as well. Just recently, he stepped more into the health and well-being space. He's uh, very much started a movement, uh, started a business, and written a book called The Change Room, which is uh, sitting behind me. And we're going to dive into all of that here today. Uh, Matt Elliott, welcome to the More Than A Game podcast. Yeah, pleasure to join you, Dan. I'm really looking forward to our chat today, mate. Yeah, likewise, mate. It's uh, good to have you on and, and good to, again, expand the, expand the podcast and talk about other sports. Uh, but we will obviously have the bias towards basketball. But let me start with this, the Matildas. I'm sure you've been getting on the bandwagon, as many of the nation have. Have you seen, in your time, anything bigger than what's been happening with the Matildas in Australian sport? No, nah, it's, it's so good to see that, you know, the whole nation got behind it. And, like, a lot of us aren't massive uh, football fans, mm-hmm. um, but I think it was more about the the achievement against, you know, the, against the odds, really, and everyone loves an underdog in Australia. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, what those, those players were able to achieve on behalf of the nation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you always... You know, I, I know people talk about, you know, that it's the growth of women's sport, but, you know, I like to focus on the equity rather than the, you know, the the other side of the conversation. And it's just so good to see that those amazing athletes being acknowledged in the way that they deserve. Mm. Yeah, well said, mate. Absolutely. It's been incredible to see. And they have a semi-final against England so coming up as we speak. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. they win it. It'd be great for the nation. Um, but just jo- want to start with your story because um, obviously your background's in rugby league, not basketball. Uh, we've had a few different uh, sporting personalities, including Jamie Seald on the podcast. But I thought it'd be great just to expand the podcast just a little bit. Um, but let's start with your career because you did play a number of games in the, uh, I guess, New South Wales Rugby League, as it was known back then, and also coached extensively across the NRL. Uh, where did it all begin for Matt Elliott? How did you get involved with the sport of rugby league? Well, I grew up in Townsville, uh, up in North Queensland, and you know I was very lucky. The area I grew up with, or the suburb I grew up, with, was a little bit isolated, and I probably had about twenty boys of similar age to me, maybe two years either side, and that's what you did. We went and played touch footy mm. every afternoon in in what we call the spare allotment, and then during summer we played cricket. So mm. that's about as complex as it is, Dan. Is that it was just something that we did for fun. And yeah. um, and sometimes we forget that you know when our when as we grow up or you know mature or whatever you want to call it we forget that it is fun mm. and we we probably get too immersed in the competitive side of it mm. but you know um, footy was always fun for me something that I still you know really enjoy watching mm. oh, that's great and something I love to talk about on the podcast is um you're taking the athletes or personalities back to where it all began in terms of their desire to make it as a professional uh, athlete and if I can take you back to there because I remember having a conversation with 
a Dragons player just at a fan day one day and just saying, look, it was my dream to be a professional basketball player. Here you are living out your dream and just put it in perspective for them like to enjoy it, as you said, because you can get worked up in terms of the competitive nature of it. But did you ever think going back to when you were growing up that you would have the career that you've had so far? Um, I'm, I shouldn't give away the title of the next book, but it's going to be a life by accident. No, no. <laughs> Yeah. I was probably a better cricketer as a kid, played state oh, cricket and yeah. came through and played a lot of first-grade cricket. I always loved footy. Mm. So it wasn't, uh, you know, a cert- certainly a definitive mindset of mine as I wanted to come to Sydney and play rugby league. I was really lucky that rugby league got me through uh, university in Lismore, mm. um, sort of paid my way. So when I got to Sydney, I was playing first-grade cricket and just signed for the Sydney Roosters, got called up. But, um, mm. yeah, ultimately the reason I played footy over cricket is I had to pay to play first-grade cricket and I oh, got yeah. played to play under-23s cricket. So, yeah. I mean, when you're 19, that's – or 19, 20, that's sort of you know, shaped the way that I – my approach to footy. So I didn't mm. really consciously go – I loved them both. Mm. I wanted to play both and I did I did play both. I, I, I think I was probably one of the – last to play first grade cricket and first grade rugby league in the same year. But, mm. um, yeah, that obviously wasn't a sustainable thing. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you took the rugby league path. It's been great to see coaching and doing your thing. But um, a big part of why I've asked you on here is obviously to speak about your book and, and talk about uh, the change room and uh, some of the areas of the health and wellbeing space you've been moving into. And we'll talk a bit about that in just a moment. I'm just interested to know how much of uh, this area – um, of the health and well-being space came out of your, I guess, uh, experiences and your learning experiences uh, playing at the highest level? Yeah, a lot. A lot. Mm. My academic background's in in sports science mm. and um, obviously as an athlete and then as a coach, we, we tend to stereotype rugby league people, don't we? Mm. And as mm. much as I can say I've got a degree, I still saw myself as a rugby league person, my identity was attached to it. So the word mm. dribbler was something that I was uh, certainly aware of mm. as far as the descriptions of us. Mm. Um, I had my own challenges right at the back end of my coaching career with my health, um, uh, both physically and, and mentally. Mm. And what I learned was there's a word called high performance that is, is attached to elite sport. And it's a bit of a trick word, Dan, because mm. it, High performance, if something works for an athlete, guess what? It'll work for you. Mm. And the other thing about elite sport is you've got to use leading edge, not cutting edge, but leading edge approach. If you don't, you come last. Mm. So I guess I came out of sport and looked at the challenges I was facing. And while I respected the clinical approach to it, it wasn't working for me. Mm. Um, so I needed to come up with actually a, some understanding. And what I found was a lot of the stuff that I'd learned in sport about developing relationships, about how to repair and recover your body, mm. still oper- op- you know operated for me as a as a fifty odd year old person. So mm. that's where it came from. And you know I, I was lucky enough to to meet someone like Anthony Minicello, who, who you know I majored in nutrition. Mm. in sports science and I thought I knew about it and Anthony saw I was experiencing some discomfort. I had an autoimmune disease called PMR, which I'm 
polymalegular rheumatitia. I think that's how you say it properly. But, yeah. um, you know, and I, I was having to eject myself with a steroid twice a day because of the pain. And it was, and Anthony didn't know, but he, he picked up on it and he mm. suggested that I examine a, another type of diet. Mm. Um, and I was sitting there going, mate, I'm, I know about diet, but mm. yeah, that was a, again, a couple of learnings out of that was one to s- never say, I know again. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah. and the other part of that was to, to listen and, and they went away and looked and, so there's just one example where that healed. I don't have the. I know I can bring that autoimmune disease back if mm. I'd like, yeah. but I don't have it anymore. They can't find it in me. But there were some other things that then I sort of looked at that and went, okay. So the adversity that you're experiencing here and all this advice you've been given for a long time, maybe you should try and utilize it yourself. And I think that's the most powerful thing in the book, Dan. Sorry to yeah. waffle on with your no, response. Is is that. I, th- I find the most powerful advice you can give to people or direction you can give to people, they already know. Mm. It's just really about reminding them that not only do you know this, you can actually do this. Mm. And if you implement it as a as a life practice, now your health and well-being will elevate. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what led me into this pathway. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, it was interesting reading your story in terms of, yeah, that situation with Anthony Minicello, going to see a speaker and just how it took you on that journey to discovery, I guess. So um, one of the th- things I sort of picked up from your book is the importance of holistic well-being and health. I think sometimes we can be so focused on exercising and that being the, the all and end all, but diet is such a big, as you are talking about, um, aspect of our health. So can you dive into that a little bit more about the importance of uh, the right healthy habit uh, eating habits and I guess that's a big part of it it's not just um, doing a diet for what maybe a month or two or trying to it's about building habits and rhythms and routines into your life so can you speak a bit about the importance of uh, healthy eating as well yeah look there's a couple of things that all holistic's a great way of describing it by the way Dan so food is important it's really important god it's made so complicated these days it doesn't need to be. As a species, the first thing we need to know is is that one of the reasons we're the best hunter-gatherer on the planet was we have diet variation. So you could get the healthiest plate of food in front of you now, and you if you ate that healthy plate of food every night, eventually your body would adapt to it. You wouldn't extract the same level of health. So diet variation is a massive thing for humans. And occasionally we're allowed to be naughty. So if you can work <laughs> off the off the 80-20 rule, that would be a really good way. To, but the big thing, just to really simplify this, the, the most important with, thing with food is eat real food. Mm. You know, the less processed food you eat, and look, the whole thing about feeding the planet, when they, when they started the, the new approach to, to agriculture was for really good reasons. They wanted to feed the whole planet, but the way that they started preserving food, the way that they started processing food ended up being very unhealthy for us. They didn't mean to do that, but now they know it's unhealthy for us and they're still doing it. So the the shortcut for us all, I promise you, was just eat real food. So, you know, how many ingredients in a steak? That's right. (laughs) How, How many ingredients in a banana? Mm-hmm. So that you know, when some it doesn't matter if you're a vegetarian or whatever, the more or a, a carnivore, the more real food that you can eat, the better it is for you. Mm-hmm. 
the more variety that you can have of eating that real food, the better it is for you. That would be my sole suggestion. Also, a lot of our food to you know to avoid having insects eating it and also to preserve it is sprayed with stuff. Mm. I suggest you wash your food as much as possible mm. or stay away from that because it's not good for us. Mm. Mm. And I can go into all the science behind that and all the evidence behind it, but I think it might, if I got an apple here I sprayed it with bagon and said you want a bite of it, you're probably not going to have a bite of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So maybe it's just worthwhile understanding that that that's not a, a great approach for us. Mm, no, well, Sam, that's great. It's something I've really discovered too recently. I had um, a bout of kidney stones, which is not great for my age. And um, I know someone that you may have heard of, Ben Summit. I uh, play for the yep. Sharks, and he's been yep. big in this space with his business, Living Lean. So shout out to Ben. And I had a uh, five five day detox where. Um, it was hard to do, but it just showed me the importance of like you, you just eat um, approved foods on the list. And it was all just, as you said, real food and in puree form. But it just made me coming out the other end feeling so much more energetic. And um, yeah, it was just incredible to see. Um, so yeah, just wanted to do a shout out to Ben uh, in terms of um, that healthy eating as well. But um, something else you talk about that um, some people are maybe still. Um, um, not sure about is the uh, art of mindfulness or you know, uh, being mindful, I guess. And um, I'm not sure if you brought into place, but uh, I remember the New Zealand Warriors really started to uh, do that in the NRL. Was that you or was that after your time? Yeah, no, it was during my time there. We, was, well, I, yeah. Again, I started meditation at, at uh, Penrith. And this right. is why I always say about leading edge rather than cutting edge. At the time, it was completely woo-woo and out there. And I yeah. must say that, the board of directors, directors weren't real happy with me paying the money I was for a meditation person. Then I got a guy called Nam Baldwin, yeah, who was Mick Fanning's breathing coach, and he's not just a breathing coach, but yes. Yeah, mm. So, mm. yeah, that that mindfulness is a really interesting thing because it's mm. been made woo woo, right? Made mm. a bit out there, but it's not. Mm. Whoever made sitting quietly with your eyes closed and just letting your brain shut down for a, a small amount of time, you know. It's, out there was definitely that they, they shouldn't be going at the meditation people. They should be going mm. at those people. Yeah, I will say this. Look, can I give you some bad news? Mm. Look, the biggest cause of death and disease on the planet now—it used to be trauma and infection—is mm. now our perception of threat. So, remembered threats called depression, mm. and imagined threat is called anxiety. And there's a whole range of severity there. Mm. That is the biggest cause of heart disease. Cancer, right. autoimmune disease. This is our perception of threat, not real threat, mm. is what's causing is the biggest cause of it. Mm. And one of the things that by just shutting down your thinking for a while, one that's one of the things that can help us. Yeah. You know, emotional regulation is another massive thing in that area. But again, it's you, so you understand what I'm saying there to be true, right? I'm not yeah. making it up. This is ah. science. Yeah. So would it would it be easy to understand that the biggest cause of well-being on the planet could be remembered joy or imagined joy. Mm. Have a think about it when you're a kid. Mm. You, know, you spent your whole time imagining you're going to be the best basketball player in mm. the world. Mm. Like, were you right? Mm. <laughs> Probably not, but who cares? You yeah, didn't care right. when you were a kid, yeah. you know, and, you know, taking time to reflect on great things that have happened in your life. Mm. 
I could tell you about the hormonal outlet in your body as opposed to having adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol in your body, which are really good in short periods in real threat. Mm. But, you know, I could tell you also what happens when you have oxytocin and serotonin going around your body and what happens to your digestive system and liver function. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's been made inaccessible for us. And can I be cynical for one tick is, is that it's because it's free to remember joy Mm, you mm. know, to imagine something amazing is free. Mm. But it is easier to have the shits than it is to be happy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, but it is easier to sit on the lounge than it is to exercise. Yeah. It is easier to go to Macca's than to cook one of those great home-cooked meals. Mm. So we've just got to choose the more the more challenging path sometimes to make sure that we do elevate our health and well-being. Yeah. I think that speaks into society as well in terms of wanting the shortcuts or, you know, the quickest way there. I think it's, um, as you said, it's caused this anxiety and we're just so fast-paced. And just on that, I read in your book and it's really interesting, um, the importance, I believe, as well, of having a balanced lifestyle. Um, so we can be so focused on work and we've got kids going on for those who have families. It can be full-on, but... I was really encouraged by um, reading about Petro Sivanasiva when you coached him at the Parents Panthers and how he, not only was he great on the field, but great off it. Can you share a bit about how he was well-balanced in his uh, way of life and lifestyle? Yeah, and uh, again, it, these simple examples are the most powerful. We always look for complexity in modern life, don't yeah, we? Yeah, that's right. You know, but... You know, Petro's diligence around his preparation, he was always the first to train and the last to leave. Yeah. Um, and the reason he was last to leave is he, that as soon as they got off the field, he took time for the people that, you know, that he was playing with, not to talk about strategy with them, but to ask them about how they're going, how their families were, you know, and then away from training, again, his, his commitment to it, his family and the development of his kids, it not only elevated their well-being, it elevated his. You know, we white Australian males like me with my hair colour tend to be scared of the word love. <laughs> yeah. We are, because if you love yourself, that was an insult when I grew up. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Petro loved himself enough to give that to his children and the people that shared his space. Mm. And you could just brush past that. And I... I've done that so many times. Yeah, you know, well, that's a really that's a good thing to do. Hmm. But sometimes you got to go. Hey, wait. Are you taking time to do this? Hmm. Are you placing enough importance on that to do this? Because look, you don't have to go to the gym all day, so you don't have to walk around in a state of love and joy and and you know happiness all day. Hmm. But you do have to take times consciously to move into those states if you want to elevate your well-being. If you mm. want the hormones of health in your body, mm. you've got to, you know, again, it'd be great if I was sitting in a state of love and joy right now in this, oh, it's so great to be here, Ben. <laughs> oh, you know, like you yeah. drive people. That's a peak state, for, you know, for the you know, for the people that you love in your life. But mm. what yeah. I learned from, from Petro is if you don't make time for it, it won't show up. The rainbow is not going to hit you in the bum. You got to consciously do it on a daily basis. Mm. Now I don't know if he consciously did it, but he just did it every day. And the impacts he had on other people mm. were pretty amazing to experience. To be honest, mm. oh, that's awesome. And I find too that just going back to what you're talking about um, in regards to the um, 
yeah, with Petro and having well-balanced lives, I've lost my train of thought with that question. But um, anyway, we'll come back to that. I'm sure we'll come back. But um, just speaking around this stuff in terms of the average person who's at home, well, that's what I was going to say. I remember. I knew it would. Um, well done. Th- this stuff also helps with, um, like, life isn't always rosy. Like, there is times where you're going to have hardship and challenges. And the key thing for me when you speak about this is that this stuff helps us, I believe, get through those challenging times and come out the side better people instead of, you know, in conflict, relational conflict, um, I guess, you know, ruining that relationship because you're not in a, a, a healthy state of mind. So um, how important is this stuff, do you believe, in terms of getting through those challenges and hardships when they do arise? I always use physical analogies, Dan, when we discuss this, right? So if you're mm. physically strong and fit, right, mm. and you're out in a boat and the boat sinks, you're probably more likely to be able to swim those five kilometres into shore than someone who is obese, yeah? Does mm. that make sense? It's easy, mm. right? Mm. That's, That's right. not a complicated thing. Mm. So if you can develop emotional capacities that allow you to access those peak states, of, you know, that I spoke about, love, joy, joy, enthusiasm, inspiration. You don't, again, you're not walking around that state the whole time. Mm. But I know I can move into them quickly, not because I'm some sort of guru. I practice them. Mm. I consciously do it every day because I I know what it's like not to be there. Mm. I know what it's like to be the obese person with 5Ks to swim in the water, you know, with the emotional analogy, is I just didn't have, you know, I had a really high, a, a job I loved as a footy coach. Um, this is when I was at the Warriors and I was in a bad place emotionally. But I just didn't have the res- – people talk about you can't – resilience is about bouncing back mm. to to where you were. Mm. So, But if you're low and you're resilient, if you're low physically, your physical resilience is bouncing back to something that's mm. not helpful. Mm. So I learned that you, ha- you can consciously build emotional capacities like you can mental capacities. You know, we, we become smarter by studying, right? You have to, mm. you know, and you get to draw on that knowledge. You don't go around telling everyone what you know all day. Mm. You get to use that knowledge as a resource when it's required. Yeah. And I just, I had to work that out by myself, not, it should be something we all get told. Mm. I wish I was taught that when I was a kid. You know, you, you, know, you have to, you know, you're having fun now. You have to learn how to, you know, work on that even better. So that you, when you need it, when the dung hits the fan, mm. you get the opportunity to to have that resource. It's that right. simple for me. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. We could talk about this all day. And if you want to find out more, whoever's listening out there, you can grab a copy of the book, obviously. But um, last thing on this, I guess, for the average person, which is where I was going to before I lost my train of thought as well, um, someone who's, uh, you know, as I said, work is full on, always stressed, um, got kids at home or family trying to juggle that it can be that's just real life that's the reality of it uh, for someone who wants feeling like they're low and their resilience level is quite low or their health is not great um, what are some strategies they can employ do you think early on just to get uh, or start building these habits and and grow a healthier mindset and ultimately a healthier way of way of life yeah, great question. We don't we love to separate all this stuff out. We put physical and diet over here, and then we put mm. emotional and mm. mental over here. They're all connected, mm. so you know. Mm. But you know, and I'm look, I'm a supporter of the look, seek support. You know, I'm going, but the reality of it is, you know, I always ask people this question, Dan. If you're getting a cleaner to your house, what do you do before the cleaner comes? 
tidy it up a bit, I guess. Yeah. You tidy up. Yeah. That that's the rule. So yeah. most people aren't going to speak up when they're in challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it, teaching kids to do that now is a really important thing. Mm-hmm. But people in our orbit, mate, uh, they don't do it. So mm-hmm. if we're relying on that to to um, to get people in a better space, mm-hmm. we're going to keep getting the results we're getting. So mm-hmm. I believe people like to clean up before ways that you can clean up. It's now finally mm-hmm. scientifically validated that if you exercise, walk, move, swim, you know, get out and spend time with people, that will improve your mental health. Mm. It's, you know, it's the best medicine for you. Mm. You have this internal pharmacy that if you can ignite it just through moving properly, Mm. Mm. okay, that that it's now this is no one can refute this. So that would be my first thing is is that if you're in a bad place, get out and particularly in the morning, get 10 minutes of sun before 10. Mm. What happens? Why Why would you do that? Well, one, the first thing, it burns off the cortisol that woke you up in the morning. Cortisol is not a bad thing. It burns it off. It also, you get sun on your face. This is proven. Mm. If you do this for three-week period, you do it three times a week, they've proven your all your mental health markers will go up. 10 minutes of sun before 10 mm. because melatonin will be, then started to be produced. That's the thing that puts us to sleep at night time. Mm. So we can improve our quality of sleep by doing that in the morning. Mm. Like this is complicated and expensive, right? Mm. Mm. And that doesn't mean, and on an overcast day like it is here in Wollongong today, that mm. doesn't mean go outside and do the same thing. Maybe yeah. don't stand in the rain, but just get some sun on your face, move around. Mm. You know, if you do have the capacity to exercise, you don't have to, you know, I've got a stereotype in my brain. I, I don't feel like I'd exercise unless I flog myself because I come from a sporting background. Mm. That's not necessarily healthy. Mm. Yeah. You know, just load your body to its capacity, have a rest and load it again and just go through some really, again, there's so many different types of exercise. Mm. Don't feel like you need to kill yourself doing it. Mm. That's right. And then eat real food. That that would be the start to it. The other yeah. one is is that, you know, I've been to clinicians and spoke to clinicians, and it's, it was so helpful because you're just talking to someone that's not judging you. But I've also got mentors and mates and friends that I feel comfortable talking to. So, mm-hmm. human connection is the biggest cause of longevity mm-hmm. on the planet. Mm-hmm. There's places called blue zones. They went there. They they ate well, but they didn't mind a wine and a bunger. You know, and, you know, they exercise. It was what they call it this incidental exercise. But these areas, the highest concentration of centenarians, the biggest common denominator was was connecting with other people. So we feel safe when we're around people that we, we care about or care about us, and that's the prime human need. Mm-hmm. That's great, mate. All in the book if you want to grab a copy and <laughs> – Grab it. It's great. But um, I want to move into the leadership space now because you talk a little bit a bit about that um, in other areas and um, jumped on the webinar you had um, talking about this stuff as well. But for those who may be leading people, not, maybe coaches or in the corporate space as well, um, that's something you talk a lot about and um, something we talk a lot about on the podcast as well. Uh, but something I, I saw you quote recently, which I was interested in, uh, I think it came up on LinkedIn that says, if you want to be an elite leader, it's not doing more. You've got to dump 80% of the stuff that's not useful. So my question in that regard is what's the stuff 
that's not useful and how does one dump it yeah and again i'm unfortunately dan i have to learn through mistakes some people can learn that's the two ways where they learn through, you know son don't put your hand on the hot plate i should have mm. listened to my mum mm. so i'm one of those ones that put their hand on the hot plate but <laughs> yeah. i guess i felt to be a good being a good leader doesn't mean that you need to be the smartest person in the organization Okay. Being a good leader means that you actually care about the people that are in your charge. They feel safe around you. Again, that word safety, mm. and they feel heard. So the reason of dropping the 80% is I used to think that, for, let me use my assistants, for example, mm. is I, they, I used to feel like I used to have to screen all their work and make sure. No, mm. they are my assistants. Show trust in them. Show belief in them. Certainly, you need to give them feedback after they've you know done their presentations or whatever. But I was spending so much time on their jobs. Mm. Yeah. I was spending so you know I've got a degree in sports science. So can you imagine the poor strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> you know. So yeah. the twenty percent I should have been spending that it was most important to me was developing relationships. Mm. With with players, with the people, making them understand what they were capable of, making them understand the areas that perhaps they could, you know, get most improvement from. And, mm. that, and I know that's a strength of mine. But when you dilute, you've only got so much focus, right? When you dilute it in those eighty percent of the areas, mm. that twenty percent, you know, is you know is like drinking. You know, the most weak cordial you've had in your life. You know, mm. It just doesn't have any impact mm. on the people that you you want to really make a difference to. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, another thing that you speak about um, is the importance of, and this is something close to my heart too, if you can't lead yourself, how are you going to lead others? And that's something I'm passionate about in my role in particular. Um, I do practice and think it's important to practice what I call soul care or self-care because in my line of work, you cannot lead effectively if I'm not looking after myself, everything we've spoken about health and well-being uh, sort of things as well, but also you know, professional development, that sort of thing. But uh, what are some of the practices you've learned in this regard of self-care, soul care, but uh, how important, again, is it to lead yourself so that you can lead others effectively? Well, again, I can only speak from an individual basis on this, and I know that, or again, when I was unwell, my leader, if you're unwell and you, you know, you're slogging through stuff, mm. you're not going to impact people in the way that you want to impact because you're not being authentic. Yes. Um, mm. When you do look after yourself, I, I can never forget. And I, you know, I'm not. I remember going to a doctor, and the doctor was. I could smell cigarette smoke on, on this person, mm. and they were obese. Yeah. And this person was giving me health advice. Yeah. Did I take it? Did I really take it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're highly intelligent person, but no, I didn't. Mm. So I guess that really impacted me that if that if I want to have a you know a positive impact on people's well being, if I want to have I want to make them be able to perform at a higher level than they ever have in their lives, mm. Mm. well, I've got to actually use those practices myself. Otherwise, that person's going to be sitting on the other side of the desk or wherever it is and going, yeah. maybe you should take your own advice, mate. And that's my big thing where I go back to where we started is, is that if, if, you know, with a, the individual coaching I do with managing directors and CEOs and different people, I'm not telling them anything they don't know. Mm -hmm. 
I'm just reminding them to use the stuff that they already know. Mm. And this is this can go for parents. Mm. This can go for you as a partner. This can go for you, you know, for whatever position you're in. You, mm. Like honestly, ninety percent of the stuff you know. Mm. You know, the other 5%, if you've got mentors or people that you, are, you know, admire, you know, there's your other 5%. The other 5% you can get from books or you can go and, you know, really find out about some, you know, extraordinary people. But yeah. I, I always tell people deal with the rule first and then deal with the exception. Don't do it back to front. Mm, that's great. One of the other things you do touch on um, that I practice in my life is, just what I call secrecy and solitude, and that's simply going down uh, to Cogra Bay where I live, uh, sit on the water, read a book, and just spend some time in quiet. And I don't have to talk or to think. I just look out at the bay and just take it all in. And so that's something you talk about. I think for leaders and people in fast-paced environments, that's an underestimated technique and strategy, I, I guess, to lower um, mental health or the you know, when someone's struggling with anxiety and depression in particular. But uh, how important is that just to be quiet and still, um, yeah, in your opinion? It's, again, I, t I gave you bad news earlier, and part of that is you know, there's no lack of stimulation in modern life, is there? Like mm -hmm. what, what you and I are communicating on at the moment, yep. is whoever made that design, the modern telephone, so clever. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and people my age talk about you know young people using their phones all the time. I, I am not in that position to be judgmental. Hmm. You now I used to slap my, you know you slap for your keys and your and your wallet back. You know I was, where's my phone? Where's yeah. so we get so much stimulation in modern life, hmm. and we're not designed to do that. You know we That's haven't changed true. genetically that much from when we were we're living in caves, hmm. and the and look. I'll ask you this question, Dan. When you do that, you go down to Cogra Bay, how does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. You just walk away feeling like the weight of is off your shoulders, I guess, in many ways. So that's your body telling you to keep doing it. Mm, mm. You know, that we don't pay enough attention to those feelings. We'll pay attention to the feeling if we've got a rock in our shoe. Yeah. yeah. But it's, oh, that hurts. Yeah. I need to take the rock out. We'll pay attention to the feeling that I'm feeling stressed or anxious or, or overwhelmed, but we don't pay enough attention to the feeling that you just described. Mm -hmm. And that's how much does it cost you to go to Cogra Bay and sit down and read a book? Yeah, absolutely nothing. That's right. <laughs> and this is my thing is, is that yeah. because there's no value attached to it, we undervalue it. And, you know, we, we need to be reminded that, you know, again, 10 minutes of sun before 10, all this stuff, but I'm telling you to, to you know, breathe better mm. you know, through your nose and diaphragmically. It's all free and it feels good because mm. it's your body going, Dan, do more of this. Mm. That's right. <laughs> Don't exactly. stop doing it. Yeah. But, you know, so we, we pay attention to the bad stuff and not the good stuff. That's it. And I find too people may be thinking, oh, I just don't have time for that, but it comes down – for me to be uh, to being intentional about it, building habits, routines, and again prioritizing that at the end of the day. So that, that's a fib to yourself. I've done that fib. Yes, I've got time to sit there and look at my phone for. Yeah, that's right. You know, I don't know how many minutes a day, but I don't have time to sit down and just close down and look at something that's amazing. Mm. Come on, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not being judgmental anyone because I've I've told that lie to myself. Yeah.
Absolutely. One final question on leadership, uh, particularly from your recent webinar. Um, you spoke about uh, how leaders uh, can use the same techniques techniques as athletes to enhance mental resilience, maintain focus, and overcome challenges in high-pressure situations. So um, what do those transferable skills look like and how does someone apply that to their life? And that's a well, big question. but No, no, and I'm going to – the whole thing – I believe my my talent is not to come up with the science but to make it accessible to people mm. is that what we know and I can tell this I can tell you this about yourself and everyone that's listening your greatest achievement in life Dan was when the pressure was on mm. Mm. you didn't achieve it when you were you, know, you were skipping you know through the fields and everything was easy your greatest mm. achievement in life so pressure's not a bad thing yeah it's good now, I can also tell you that yeah, you know, your worst performance in life was when the pressure was on as well. Mm. So, you know, pressure is just the thing that we have to ex experience. But if we can learn to embrace it, mm. if we can learn to understand our responses to pressure, our good and our bad responses, because occasionally when pressure's on, what we'll do is we'll go into fight, flight, or freeze, mm. and that's not normally useful unless there's a tiger coming to us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But there's another side where, you know, I can get when the pressure's on, I get clear of what I need to do. Mm. Okay. I'm, I, I, I can execute with intensity around it mm. because I've got real clarity on my, my abilities to deal with the pressure that I'm experiencing. Mm. Yeah. And I am going to go over to the other side occasionally. But it, the sooner I can become aware of, look, I'm starting to get angry here. I'm starting to look to escape here. I'm I'm starting to look to, you know, just withdraw slowly and hide somewhere. Mm. Okay. It's, we all do it. Mm. We all – there's all those things we've done is, is a, the earlier I can recognise and go, you know what, okay, the, this means the pressure's on, so there's an opportunity here for me to go over and execute, be clear and step up in a way that, yeah, you know, I know that that means I'm at my best. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And just one more thing, because uh, it sparked something in my mind in terms of the pressure that can often arise with conflict and um, you know difficulties around that. And something I touched on as well. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of work in terms of uh, leaders and how we are as leaders. The best thing we can do is differentiate uh, when someone comes to us with criticism. Um, or frustration it's important not to take that personally and you talked about the fight or flight response a response i've learned that's all in the amygdala i think in your brain and it's important yep. to switch that off uh, so you can navigate that conflict in a healthy way so um how important is that in terms of you know when the pressure's on in a conflict situation to differentiate and yeah i guess you've experienced that as a coach with players and across the nrl um, how important is that skill for leaders and and managers yeah again i wish i knew this more at the time but first of all we need to understand our the reason we're the best hunter gatherer on the planet is our brain is wired three to one to see threat over joy mm -hmm. so th that means that you know and that's look i'll make the always use the example if i'm crossing the road to see a loved one what do i do before i cross the road i look left and right Mm -hmm. just to make because there's no use getting across the other side of the road if i'm going to get run over mm -hmm. so it's a good thing mm -hmm. and as i said we're not the strongest the fittest and the fastest on the planet so we we're, we're meant to do that but mm -hmm. so i've got i've got to understand that 
if I want to see that that the threat in a situation where the pressure's on, I can do that, mm. and I'll go to that way really quickly. But that doesn't that means I'm outside the elite version of myself. Mm. I want to go to the other side of it where I can see there's an opportunity here. That's the first thing I need to see the opportunity. I need to signal my brain through my breathing and through my body language that I'm safe, mm. Mm. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna now I'm gonna step up. Mm. Does that mean it's easy? No, mm. it wouldn't. Mm. It wouldn't be elite if it was easy. Mm. But it does give you the opportunity to 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 walk into those those situations. Does it mean you you get it right all the time? No, mm. but it certainly does impact the people around you in a way that you want to impact them. Mm. And it certainly does give you the opportunity to to be successful. Going fight, flight, or freeze, freeze direction. Again, unless it's real threat, unless there's a fire in the house or whatever, most of the time you're not going to get an outcome that you're looking for. You're just going to get in a negative loop. You know, you'll, it'll be a negative situation or an emotion that loads you that leads to an unuseful behaviour that gives you a negative view of the situation and you get caught. We've all been in that loop, mm, right? Mm, mm. We just want to go over here and do what we know. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. I could talk about it all day, um, but just we'll finish up and just a few questions on the dragons. It'd be missing me not to because I'm a dragons fan. Let's put it out there. Uh, but uh, you're still in a position with the dragons, um, with uh, your role being in the wellbeing space, not coaching as such anymore. But uh, being a part of the club, and, and you know, obviously, it's been some challenging times there. Um, a new coach has been appointed in Shane Flanagan. Uh, for Dragons fans that may be potentially listening, uh, can we be optimistic about the next few years moving forward? Absolutely. Um, look, it has been a challenging time. And sometimes, you know, in life and in organisations, you need to go through those challenges to understand what you don't want. So we're mm. pretty clear on that now. <laughs> we certainly don't want to be where we are in the competition. And, there's some, mm. and that means... We can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. So mm. there's some changes being that'll be made, and I'm I'm really super optimistic about Shane being involved in the organisation. I know I'm known him for a long time, mm. and I, you know I've got. Did a, you play with him back in the day? No, miss? we missed each other by a year, but we played oh. against each other. But we've known each other. We've had common friends for a long time. Sure, and and. Obviously, coached against each other. I've always had a lot of admiration for the way his understanding of stuff. So, mm. you know, and he's been through his own adversity, so he understands what mm. that as well That's through right. lived ex- through lived experience. So, mm. Mm. I, I and I think that that's a part of the formula, and I know that he's going to make a huge difference. But I, I, it's not the only part of the formula. The rest of the one is is that you know, like I always say, South Sydney have had the same amount of coaches as us in the last decade mm, yeah but they've been in the semis most years mm. so the coach is not the common denominator here mm. so we as an organization need to you know, really look at, at some of the things that we can do mm. in our behaviors and in our approach to certain things to elevate our opportunity for success and i know that there's an you know because i'm in the organization there's an open-mindedness to this and a a real curiosity as to how that actually looks. Mm. You know, we do have a high performance centre that I believe will be finished in 2025, mm. which is really exciting. You know, it's not the be all and end all, but if you you, know, you came and looked at the facilities that we're operating out of now, and then you looked at what some other the clubs are 
have the opportunity to do, you'll see that there's a there's a significant difference. Mm. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean we're not going to be successful until we get in there, mm. but it'll it'll certainly allow us to, you know, just elevate a lot of the approaches that we do have. So yeah, I'm 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 never going to be accused of being pessimistic, but I, <laughs> I'm but in a realistic side of it, my my expectations are really high for the, you know, for the the future. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And just quickly on the football front, I guess on the field in terms of the play, I guess as tapping into your NRL coaching experience, I guess for Dragons fans, the frustration is we've been on top for so long. I mean, in my time following the Dragons, I think up until two thousand and well, the Wayne Bennett era, we only missed the finals maybe two or three times. So uh, it's been you know the run's been a bit dry the last decade, but on the field, what can you, what needs to happen for the team to get back to competing with some of the top teams in the league? Okay. So the top team in the league at the moment is Penrith. Hmm. And they get 80% of their players through their pathways. The St. George Illawarra area is just an amazing catchment area. Hmm. We need to... So what we need to do now is is that we've got some great seeds. We need to make sure the soil that we put those seeds in, mm, mm. you know, in our development of this young talent coming through is the best in the comp. Mm. That's going to happen. So or obviously when we're developing 16, 17, 18-year-olds, there's a, there's a while to, mm. to make that develop. But look at the Brisbane Broncos at the moment. Mm. You know, they got, what, they got the wooden spoon a few years ago, didn't they? Those young kids have come through together. I I know that we have got an amazing crop of talent coming through. Mm. It'll take a while and we'll need to get through a little bit of adversity. But, Mm. you know, our catchment area is pretty extraordinary. Mm. But if if we get to a place where we're developing 75 to 80% of our our NRL players through our pathway, Mm. you watch. You watch what's going to happen. Yeah, you're making me excited listening to listening to you, mate. But I guess on that, um, what happened in the last decade that that very much stopped? Because when you think about the success we had, um, particularly early on, a lot of the players were local juniors, like Mark Gazniers, Matt Coopers. Like the list goes on in terms of the juniors that came through. So what went wrong there? Do you think it just was it maybe got a bit too comfortable, or uh, what happened? Do you think in that time? Well, because I wasn't a part of the organisation, and there's not a lot of connection to that mm. at the moment. I, I, yeah, I'd only be guessing if I yeah. gave you an an gave mm. you an answer on that. And sure. then when you guess about stuff like that, you end up being disrespectful to someone who had nothing to do with it. You mm. know, so no, that's right. I, I guess I am a really future focused person, mm. and mm. you know what we've got to make sure we do do though is not ignore what happened in the past take the lessons out of it and go mm. well, we're, we are we are you know because of these reasons mm. you know and if we continue to do stuff like that so that um as i say plan i'll have a big impact on it but mm. the whole organization needs to buy into being the best club in the nrl mm. yeah that's no, awesome mate. Well, I'm imagining you'll still be involved in your position. No, no plans to move on anytime soon. Uh, I'll move on when we're sitting top four. <laughs> okay, you're in for the long run. It's good. Well, who knows, mate? That could be next year. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah. can't accuse me of being a pessimist. No, absolutely not, mate. Well, it's been a joy. 
So I'd definitely be uh, taking this into my day and uh, give me a bit of that happy feeling. But um, no, I appreciate your time, mate. Really appreciate your insights. And uh, thank you for joining us on the More Than The Game podcast. Thanks, Dan. It was a pleasure, mate.